So here we go. We're being recorded. Everything you say from this moment on will be recorded. <laughs> here and in heaven. <laughs> All right. Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 16. I'm going to tie in 11 just to help it um, tie together a little bit. Um, so Hebrews 4, verse 11. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Alright, um, so the last time I was up here was about a month ago. We were in Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. And I ended with saying, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's verses 3, 11. And that's been kind of the theme since then. Um, so how do we know? How do we know we're in God's rest? I came up to Brother Barry last week after he got done and I said, Hey, if you can fall asleep during a good sermon, does that mean you entered his rest? <laughs> but anyway, no, there is, and you still get something out of it. No, I've never done that, Gary. Um, but there is a way of knowing. We can know if we've entered that rest. We should know that we've entered that rest. I don't think that rest... The complete rest we won't realize until heaven, but this side of glory, I think there is um, some confirmation to our hearts that we have entered that rest. So, by doing to know that, we should regularly evaluate our spiritual position. The writer of Hebrews is telling us here today to learn from the mistakes of those who went before us and not to repeat the mistakes that they did. Um, what was the mistake of the Israelites? Unbelieving evil heart. Grumbling, not trusting God, not obeying His Word, or listening to His Word. Fear that while a promise remains of entering His rest, that any of you may seem to have come short of it. Hebrews 4.1 The word they hear, they heard, they did, did not profit Him. Why? Because it wasn't united with faith. Hebrews 4.2 The Israelites wanted to turn around and go back into bondage, into Egypt. These Jewish believers, some were thinking about going back into Judaism. Some of us may fall away at some point and go back into the world. Hopefully not. But why? How, uh, they didn't listen to God's word. They didn't unite the words they heard with faith. So they never entered that rest. Hebrews 4.2, um, which Brother Pat spoke on, tells us that the Israelites had the good news preached to them, just as we have. And they hardened their hearts and they provoked God. We've had, had the same good news preached to us. Now we have the same opportunity to receive God's rest with eternal life from the good news preached to us. God's grace was not only extended to the Israelites of Old Testament times, but it's also extended to us. And now on this side of the cross, the promise are even greater for us. So let's be diligent to enter that rest. We are not so different than the original audience. 
Not that we would go back into Judaism, but we can go back into our sin and into the world. I've seen it happen. I know people that are there. Um, so verse 12. The fan is taking away my pages here. Um, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of of the heart. Um, The word of God. That's the first word we read. The word of God. Um, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, is a speaking God. Thank God. God speaks to us. How blessed are we that he does. You want to know God, you read His Word, and He's speaking to you. You study His Word. The Word of God is living. In the land of the living, this book is far more alive than we are. Uh, we're all in the process of dying. Not this book, it's alive. It has an eternal heartbeat. It has a pulse. It is healthy, and it's going to live forever. Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Mark 13:31. This book is alive. There is life in it. All other books are dead. When they quote scripture, they come alive. But other than that, they're not alive. What else lives forever other than God and his word? What a treasure. What a blessing to hold this in our hands. Humans read it and they come alive, spiritually alive, eternally alive. This living heartbeat gives, book gives birth to new life. All peoples, all nations can receive life from this book. When you read God's word, does it do something to you on the inside? Life brings life. Living things breathe living things. There is life in this book, and that's why it is spoken of as living and active. Um, I was thinking earlier this week, too, I I wonder why that, um, well, of course, it's the Holy Spirit, but why we are, we want to get into the Word daily, why we want to get into a devotional. Um, It's like going back home, it's like going to your mother, going to your father, the one that gave you birth, you know. and I wonder if that plays in a little bit with our um, want for a devotion or our want to spend quiet time with God. Go ahead, James one eighteen says, Of his own will begat he us by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In other words, what, what exactly what you're saying. He birthed us through the word of God. Amen. So why would we want to go back to that word and get more and more of it? Right. The milk, right. the sincere milk of the word. Amen. Amen. Yep. Going, going back to our true father. How awesome is that? If you don't have that desire, then that probably be more reason to even want to dig into it more to get that desire. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, there's a few verses I want some people to read. So, um, Pat, will you go to Isaiah 55, 11? And uh, Barry, will you take John 630, 6, 6.36? And Michelle, will you do Proverbs 4, 20 through 22? And Greg, would you read um, John 12, 48? Go ahead, brother. Good. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Amen. So we see the, the active word going forth. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for everybody. It's going forth. And it's going to do something. It's going to do something good for you or it may do something bad for you. Or it may do both. But it's going to do something when you hear it. Who's got John 36? John 6, 36? Yep. Okay. 
But I said to you, you have seen me, and yet do not believe. That's 636? Yes. I wrote that one down. <laughs> 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 All right. I got, I don't know where, you probably, brother, this may know where this is, but it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. 663. 663. I had the words back, the numbers backwards. Sorry about that. Thank you, brother. Proverbs 4, 20 through 22. Maybe I get that one right. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Life and health. Amen. Thank you. Greg? Um, There is a judge. For the one who rejects me and does not accept my words, that very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. Amen. Amen. So the word's doing its job in everybody's life. Um, But not only is living, it's active. It does things. Specifically, it penetrates so in this capacity, it is linked to a double-edged sword. Um, we read in the Bible, Isaiah 49 speaks of his, my mouth being like a sharp sword. Or Ephesians 6.17, the sword of the Spirit as part of the armor of God. Um, Revelation 1 and, and uh, 2.12 also speaks of Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth. Um, the two-edged sword is very effective while swinging it. It can damage both ways. To thrust it into an opponent, it easily penetrates. It was the weapon of choice back in this day. Um, the Word of God penetrates better than no other sword. It's likened to a sword. It's piercing as far as division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Um, what do you guys think about those those words right there? I have a few um, commentators that I trust, um, some dead, some alive, and one of them I went to, um, who I considered a spiritual giant. Uh, he's preaching on these, this verse, and he says, these are the words that drive a pastor crazy. He yeah. goes, what are they talking about here? I goes, oh boy, I'm in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> um, but piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Go ahead, Sue. I think these words are deliberate in the fact that it's surgical. Hmm. Amen. Yeah, it, has, it has surgical language. It does. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Craig? When you think of the, you know, the only offensive weapon in Ephesians chapter 6 or 5, or whatever, when it says... It's it's the word of God, and and that is the you know like when you're witnessing to somebody or you're saying something to someone, you can you might not even realize it, but that's what gets to the heart of the matter. That's what gets Amen. right in there. Amen. I, I can remember saying stuff to people, just uh, like a a verse or, or quoting a verse, and it kind of you you can just see it kind of like stops them and. Sometimes you know, sometimes that that happens, not mm. all the time. Mm. But they'll they'll stop and they'll kind of think about it, they'll ponder on it, you mm. know, like, oh, hey. Yeah, doing something to them on the inside. Michelle, I always um, first of all, I 
for me, accountability, when it talks about judging our thoughts, he judges our thoughts and our attitudes. Mm-hmm. Because our thoughts, nobody else knows mm-hmm. what he does. So that's something that I focus on. And then our attitude towards something. We can do something good, but with the wrong attitude, that's sin to God. Mm-hmm. And so that's, a, for me, that's accountability. Mm-hmm. Amen. Go ahead, Brother Nick. So the penetration of the word in this context, I think, is what searches the individual's motives. Mm-hmm. Like, are we going to go back to Egypt? Are we going to turn around? Are we going to abandon the Lord? Mm-hmm. And the, the scriptures will search our innermost being, and hopefully it will reveal to us, or will allow it to reveal to us, where our hearts are really directed. Right. And, but yet, even at that, in that case, we still have to be obedient. You know, we still have that choice to go either way, right? When it's revealed to us. I think that happens often. But yes, you're right. Um, the word cuts deep. Does someone else have a hand up? Mm-hmm. The word cuts deep because sin goes deep. And this is what we're dealing with. Pastors, elders, teachers, adults teaching to Sunday school. This is what we're doing. We're surgeons. We're handling a sword. Second um, Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself Approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Accurately handing the world word of truth. Um, those who are teaching the word of truth, we're swinging a sword. The word tears down, but it can also build up. It can convict, but it can also encourage. It can make you cry, but yet have a deep, profound joy. The word of God can condemn, but may also restore and save. The word of God passes judgments on man's feelings and thoughts. Um, can you ever remember a time when you were cut to the heart by the word? Anyone want to share something like that? Go ahead, brother. Yeah, I, I might have shared this with some people once, but I was preaching. I was preaching in the verse I preached on. I almost felt like I couldn't go on. I should have been honest and just said I can't go on anymore. I've got to just stop wow. right now. Cause I, I struggled with that afterwards to a little extent. You know, Should I even have gone on? I mean, I could feel myself... I could feel stuff going on inside. I mean, the conviction was so powerful. Right. I was like, people must be able to see me bleeding. <laughs> was that at Christ that Refuge? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I remember that. Yeah, I recall that. Yeah. That's cool. Insane. Yeah. Yeah, of all time. I mean, hey, in your corner. There's nowhere to run and hide. Right. Right? right. When you're up there behind the pulpit and God convicts you, what are you going to do? <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. That's going to come it up was, more too. You're running and hiding, you know, well, that's what we do. Because it brought about it, it, as I thought about it, thought about it, it, it guided me exactly to what I needed to do. Mm. Mm. Go ahead, brother. There was a fellow that was mocking George Whitfield's preaching back mm. in the 1700s. Mm. Was doing, he did this in the tavern. Taverns, of course, were like inns, you know, room, room, rooms and so on in the tavern building. Anyway, he, he went through this mockery of, of uh, Whitfield. And he just opened up the Bible to utilize it like a Whitfield would. And he, he opened up the passage in Luke fifteen three, where it says, Except you repent, you will likewise perish. And as he read that word, he got so convicted by it. He wasn't, even, you know, he wasn't saved, obviously. This is a mockery. He got so convicted, he stopped right there. He ran out of the tavern dropped to his knees, wept, and cried out to the Lord for salvation. Unbelievable. Power of the Word. Power of the Word. Amen. Amen. That's what it does. That's active. Um, So there's no getting away from uh, His Word. Um, 
He knows the word. You read it and it reads you. You can't bluff God. Um, you can fool other people, but you can't fool Him. And I think some, I often wonder if that's not why a lot of people, um, when you witness to them and you start laying scripture on them, that they, they know that the, no one knows the, their true identity. And if they're not reserved to come to God because they may re, that true identity is going to be revealed not only maybe to other people, but to themselves. You know what I'm saying? Where... Um, because that, that's part of uh, coming to the Lord, being exposed. We're going to get into that more. Completely exposed. God knowing everything. You know? Um, where people, maybe people don't want to know who they really are. Their true, their true being. You know? Um, but we, what we hold most secret, we find subject to scrutiny and judgment of the Word of God. The innermost recess of our being, the Word of God reaches. God knows the real you. We, I've been married over 40 years and um, I, I know God knows me a lot better than my wife does. Um, there's no getting away from God or His Word. It will have its way with the hearers whether or not they like it. Mm-hmm. It will expose, expose the true intention of the heart either by drawing people to hear to do its message or in abandoning sinners to the hardness of their hearts so that they fall away mm-hmm. in disbelief. Um, the inner attitude of everyone who hears it will be revealed according, according to how he or she responds to the Word of God. Every sermon preached by a man of God and gifted by God has something to say to every listener. Why? Because it's the Word of God. I've told Pastor Gary before, every Sunday when I'm up there, um, God, I meet with God. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm meeting with God. I'm intent on the word and what's being preached and I'm applying it to my heart. That's why I often don't like it when people say, that would have been a good sermon for so-and-so to hear. No, that was a good sermon for you to hear. For you to hear first. It's all something to do with you. Keep it personal. Um, but no wonder I need a nap on Sunday. I've had surgery. Yeah? No, really. Spiritual surgery. That's the worst. That's the hardest. Hmm. So verse 13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Here is the same truth expressed with different imagery. It's impossible to hide anything from God. It's speaking of all things being uncovered or exposed to God. It's like God looks right through everyone directly into their soul. Go ahead, Tony. I was thinking of maybe a strange analogy. That has anyone ever lied um, in, in while you're lying, you have trouble keeping eye contact with the person that you've lied to. Hmm. And so I was just thinking about how, you know, trying to lie to God, he never loses eye contact. That, that's good. That's good because um, hmm. that's what we're going to be talking about. That's awesome. Um, the Greek word spoken here for lay bid is very unusual. One used only here in the New Testament. It, was a, it wasn't a common word and it was used of wrestlers who laid hold of their opponent. They gripped the neck with such a powerful hold that it brought victory. It, it was a hold that gripped the neck and face and brought the two face to face. Nice. Face to face. They got them by the neck and they're like saying, now what are you going to do? Um, that's what the word's doing to us. Face to face. Um, so how do you feel about How do you feel that God knows everything about you? How do we feel about that? Amazing. He knows everything and yet cares so deeply. Still love us, right? He's 
Amen. And I'm not that gracious to others. Hmm. Amen. Go ahead, Pat. But we also forget that we're safe with Him, even in that knowledge, and we're so used to. I mean, I mean, every one of us knows what it's like if someone, or we know what it feels like internally if we were to think somebody knows that about me. Mm-hmm. It, it automatically creates an invisible wall or a feeling of discomfort. You don't want people to know. I mean, every one of us has things in here they would never tell anyone else in here about. Guarantee it. Mm-hmm. And because we don't feel safe, because we're not safe. Right. I would dare say we're not safe right. for the most part with rare exceptions can you really trust somebody we all know what it's like to have a confidant but with, with few exceptions can you really trust someone to just shut up about it and just be you know, gracious with you and so we're not used to that we hmm. don't know what it's like to share that we always feel that sense with God that's not so we need to acclimate ourselves to being comfortably naked right right in his presence right go ahead Bella when Peter was denying the Lord in the next room to where Jesus was, after his third denial, the cock crowed twice, and it says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Uh-huh. And when Peter saw the face of the Lord, it says what? He went out and wept bitterly. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, I think it's good. I think, I think um, thank God somebody really knows me. You know, um, because you're, you're, Patrick, you're all right here that we won't expose everything about ourselves because we, we don't want to be rejected by people. We don't want to intentionally have people look at us in an ugly way. Um, but I think that I, it's good that someone really knows the real you, you know. And, and, um, and hopefully as we grow in grace, um, the re- real you is more like Jesus, you know. But it's good. It's good that he knows us. Go ahead, Tony. In the Word, it, it, there's an assurance of this um, that we see the how and the why. How can that be and, and, and why is that our Lord had become flesh and was a man and was tempted just like we are. Mm-hmm. And so we have a commonality in that he was fully man. Our God was fully man. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's going to come up again too. Okay, so all things are open and laid bare before him. He knows it all and it's him we have to do. Um, what's that mean? With whom we have mm-hmm. to do. Amen. 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 The one that we're going to stand before. You know, The Word has got us by the neck right now and is looking at us face to face. Now's the time to deal with it. Not when we see Him face to face in eternity. Mm-hmm. Now's the time. Because it's Him we're going to be accountable to. Um, so in verse... 12 and 13. So because God knows the truth about us better than we care to admit because His Word cuts to the heart better than we, we take it to heart, we are all held accountable to what we know to be true. So we all have a responsibility to take God's Word to heart and to obey it. Unlike those who disobeyed and were cut off from entering His rest. So these verses are not just here to demonstrate how powerful it is, which it is. Rather, it's telling us because it's alive, because it's powerful, because it's greater than any weapon, because it changes life, because it penetrates into the depth of our being, we must not ignore it. We must act on it, obey it, and unite its teaching with faith. All right, verse 14. Um, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, 
let us hold fast our confession. In chapter 1, verse 3 of Hebrews, Jesus is seen as the one who has made purification of sins. In chapter 2, 17, he's a merciful and faithful high priest to make propitiation of the sins of the people. In chapter 3, verses 1, he is the apostle and high priest of our confession. And here in 4.14, he is called our great high priest. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, it's important for us to know the role of a priest um, because I think from here on for a couple chapters, that's what we're going to be dealing with is the high, if Jesus as the high priest. So it's important to, to know um, what the uh, Israelites knew about a priest. The priests of ancient Israel were appointed by God to be mediators between himself and his people. Only the high priest could once a year on the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur, all the sins of the people were brought symbolically to the Holy of Holies, where blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat as a sacrifice to atone for them. As no other human instrument could, he represented God before the people and the people before God. When you hear that, something should come to your mind here about Jesus. Leviticus 16 tells us, before the high priest could even enter the Holy of Holies, much less offer a sacrifice there, he had to make atonement, uh, had to make an offering for himself, since he, just as all those whom he represented, was a sinner. Uh Not only that, but his time in the Holy of Holies was limited. He was allowed to stay in the presence of the Shekinah glory of God only while he was making the sacrifice. To enter the Holy of Holies, the priest has to pass through three areas in the tabernacle or the temple. He took blood and went through the door into the outer court, through another door into the holy place, and then through the veil into the Holy of Holies. He did not sit down or delay. As soon as the sacrifice was made, he left, and he did not return for another year. Year after year, another Yom Kippur was necessary. Between these yearly sacrifices, every day, day after day, Thousands of other sacrifices were made of produce and animals. The process was never ended, never completed, because the priesthood was not perfect. And so the sacrifices were not perfect. But Jesus, our great high priest, after he made a one-time perfect sacrifice on the cross, also passed through three areas. When he passed through the heavens, he went through the first heaven, the atmosphere, the second heaven, the outer space, and the third heaven, God's abode, where it's Paul speaks of being caught up into the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12. The veil's been torn. Jesus, after his perfect atonement, went to be where God Almighty himself dwells, not just where his glory dwells. This is the holiest of holies. And Jesus did not have to go in quickly and get out. Now, his sacrifice was made once and for all. His sacrifice was perfect because his priesthood is perfect. Not only... He didn't have to leave, but he sat down and is seated at the right hand of the Father for all eternity. Hebrews 1.3 Jesus, our high priest, made the perfect atonement for sin. The purpose for which he had come to earth. His work was completed when he entered heaven and presented himself in the holy place, which is Hebrews 9.11 and 12. But Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come. He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. 
What a priest. So our great high priest did not pass through tabernacles or temples, but he passed through the heavens, which are made by human hands. And when he got there, he sat down because it was a perfect sacrifice. He paid the price for the sins of all peoples, all nations, who, who choose to receive him by faith. So the author appeals to us on this, on the fence to those who are reading this when he wrote this to the ones thinking about going back into Judaism. He says to hold fast to their confession. Um, the Jewish sacrifices and priesthood is over. The temple is destroyed in A.D. 70. No temples, no sacrifice, so no priesthood. Yom Kippur is still celebrated. It's their biggest holiday. It's a holy day, the highest holy day, but no priests are involved and no sacrifices are involved. So, where are the priests now? Who are the priests now? We are. Amen. Amen. First Peter 2.9 So, what, what is our job as priests? Offer sacrifices of praise for one. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. And, the, and if the priest was the mediator between man and God, um, that's what we're doing when we're witnessing. And we're telling people about Jesus. Kind of like being a, a mediator. You know? Telling them about the Lord. Um, it really um, sheds a lot of light on um, the, the, the issue of priests. You know? And how... Um, other faiths um, still do that. You know? Um, Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Our high priest, Jesus, has entered into our weakness by becoming one of us. So he not only knows us completely because we are laid bare before him, he knows our weakness. He knows our struggles. He never succumbed. He, he experienced every temptation to the maximum. He experienced it as a man and as a, as a human being. In every way he was tempted as we are and more. The only difference was he never failed. Um, how, how do we feel about... Go ahead, Susan. No, you first. I was going to say before that someone, when you, when you went back to the question, how do you, you know, how do you feel about someone knowing all about you? Mm. It's both comforting and scary. Mm. And that's what I would say about that. Right. 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 But I, th- I think, um, yeah, I think as we grow in grace, though, it'll get more comforting. You know, especially. Um, I was thinking this morning. I mean, it, that's why I love doing this. I don't. I don't. I'm not as big in standing in front of people, but I love being forced to dig into the words. So thank you, brother Ness, because um, it does. It reveals stuff to me. And like Pat said, something was revealed to him a couple of weeks ago. Had a stronghold torn down. God reveals stuff to me through doing this. You know, um, which is cool. Which is good. That's what it's all about. You know, and so it's worth it. You know, because um, I always say that. I go to me. That's the, the coolest thing about being a, a follower of Jesus Christ is that I can be better tomorrow than I am today. You know, um, I, I, I can change, and the world can't change. They say man's ways are usually set in their twenties, and from that point on, it's only downhill. Not so with a believer that has the Holy Spirit. You know, we we can get better. So how awesome is that? Um, 
So we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So the question is, is um, how does Jesus understand our sin if he, was, if he didn't have a sinful nature? That would be the question, I guess. He wasn't stupid, so he could observe human behavior. He knows everything anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Right. He knows how weak we are. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, well, think think about. Go ahead, Pat. Being tempted is not sin. Right. I don't even know that it requires a sin nature to be tempted. Obviously, it doesn't, right? Right. But Jesus was tempted, and we know he didn't have a sin nature, uh, so he knows what it feels like to have either from probably not so much within from him but certainly externally the uh, invitation to go against God mm. is really what temptation is to me it's an invitation mm. you know mm-hmm. invitation to curse God to go against him to be unloving mm. um, so I, I don't think that he needs to be able to sin in order to experience temptation right alright go ahead I remember hearing Billy Graham back in the 70's put it this way mm. he said mm. back 70, 73 or so. I wasn't even a Christian, but he said, the difference between Jesus being tempted and us being tempted is like a knock on a door. When when the devil or when temptation knocks on our door, we have someone on the inside that says, oh, who is that? <laughs> the door. Yeah. Whereas when the knock went on Jesus' heart, there was no one on the inside to respond to the temptation but there was a hearing of the same knock as those that weren't, uh, weren't believers. So right. the, those that weren't uh, sinless like Jesus. They, we, they both heard the knock. Jesus right. and us, we hear the knock. We respond in a way that he couldn't respond, but he hears the knock as well. Right. right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, he still had that battle. He, he knows that, um, in our sin... Our battle with sin or temptation will either go only as far as we give into it or as we keep fighting it off. So if you think about it that way, if you give into a sin temptation and then the temptation goes away, then that sin temptation for Jesus never went away because he never gave into it. Does that make sense? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do, I'm going to try that again. A lot of times when we're tempted when we're tempted and we fight it and we say no, no, no we fight it, we fight it, we fight it we think we're doing good fighting it but then all of a sudden we realize we failed and we fell into that temptation so we only fought it to that point of failure mm-hmm. but Jesus fought it forever he never, he never gave into it it never went away by him succumbing to it uh, him giving into it. Could you give us, us an example of what, what you may be thinking about it, as far as Jesus? The word battle might throw us off a little right. bit. Right. Well, listen to this. This is, this is what one commentator wrote. It says, um, Some may wonder how Jesus can completely identify with us if he did not actually sin as we do. Merely experiencing something does not give us understanding of it. A person can have many successful operations without the understanding least about surgery. But on the other hand, a doctor may perform thousands of complicated and successful operations without ever having had the surgery himself. 
It is his knowledge of the disease or the disorder and his surgical skill in treating it that qualifies him, not his having the disease. He has great experience with the disease, much greater experience than, than any of his patients, having confronted it in all its manifestations. Jesus never sinned, but he understands sin better than any man. He has seen it more clearly and fought it more diligently than any of us are ever able to do. Does that make sense? That does, but I must say, I think maybe the first way that we heard it, the way I heard it, because when we give in to sin, it's only a temporary, it's not over. So when we think, okay, we've given in to this, the struggle isn't over, it's just for a moment. But then that resurges even worse. It continues on because God doesn't leave us there. He wants us to get out of that battle. Amen. So it's going to return, which is to our good, another opportunity to fight with his power. Right. Right. And may he return with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, We have to be careful how we understand tempted, too, because James says each man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Exactly. Jesus had no lust right. that was sinful with which he could be enticed. So, I mean, if we use, if we understand, I'm not prepared to articulate all that, but. If we use the same meaning for temptation in every context, we have to say, if we plug that in here, we would have to say that uh, who in every respect has been drawn away by his own lust and his taste, even as we are. No. We can't say that about Jesus, right? No. no. Right. I think the big picture here is the, the profile of the high priest and his ability to identify with the people. So we don't want to have a high priest who can't relate to us, but a high priest who sympathizes with us who's been there done that has felt what we felt so he's not far from any one of us you know his robe is draped out wide so that we can reach out and touch it and find that virtue that power that comes from our great high priest to touch us because the fifth chapter which is I think Barry's next right no who's next Jonathan oh Jonathan yeah where uh, it, it talks about you know uh, we don't have a high priest who is ignorant of our ways. Mm. So I think that's kind of the, the most important thing about the profiling of the high priest is his his absolute full identification with humanity. Even in that area, he certainly had contact with that enough so that he can <coughs> understand what we're going through. Amen. Though, of course, in his perfect humanity... He could not have succumbed to it. Some have raised the question, well, could Jesus have sinned then? He didn't sin, but could he have sinned? I, I think that's a very wrong perspective. Right, he, could, right. he couldn't be sinned because his father being God, God can't sin, you know? Right. But he was born of a woman. But the temptation was real and we can't deny that. Right. But and that, I think that's the point I'm trying to make is that I knew this was going to be a little touchy because the more you think about it, sometimes the harder it gets. But, and I'll come to you, Barry. But I think that um, the point I think that we should get out of it is nobody fought temptation like Jesus did. And he, he gave that example to us and that's how we should fight temptation. Not give in to it because it's not saying that he can sympathize with us that he goes, I know you're only dust, you did it again. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, my grace is here. So, hope, you know, when we're getting to that, we're going to the throne uh, more for grace than we are for mercy, I guess would be a good thing, if that makes sense. Go ahead, Barry. Well, just to say that, when you just said, 
to show the extreme temptation of Jesus. He was fasted 40 days and was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Mm-hmm. So you can't get any harder than that. But I was going to say, I agree with Gary about the how can Christ, who's God the Creator, sympathize with us as the high priest because he was supposed to feel you know, that was one of the things, at least about the human high priest, he was a, he was a sinner. Hmm. So the verse I thought of, w- w- just to point out, was um, he learned, though he was a son, he learned obedience through suffering. So the question is, did he have to learn obedience? Well, no. But, so I think the emphasis is suffering. Hmm. He learned obedience as we do through the suffering. That's how we learn obedience. Hmm. So he suffered to see how we learn understand and to be sympathetic with our lives having to suffer as well. Amen. And that's why he had to be made just as us. He had to be one of us. He had to be a human. A, 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 a man from God who is God himself. Mm-hmm. So tempted in every way that we are yet always victorious. Jesus did not sin. Could not sin. Had no capacity to sin. Yet his temptations were all the more terrible because he would not fall and endure them to the because he would not fall and he endured them to the extreme, to the end. His sinlessness increased his sensitivity to sin. Which is, I think is so cool. His sinlessness increased his sensitivity to sin. I, I mean, how many have been here saved a long time? Doesn't it seem like sometimes how... God just reveals all this stuff to you and go, oh man, am I getting better or am I getting worse? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the longer we're saved, the more sensitive we are to sin. The little ones that never even appeared on the screen before, never even showed up on the radar, now they're like in our face. That, that's us growing in grace, fighting sin, becoming more like Him. So verse 16, so therefore, let us draw near with confidence or boldly to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Um, having Jesus as a high priest gives confidence. So the writer of Hebrews exhorts his readers to approach God boldly with confidence for definite help. In view of what a high priest has done, there's no barrier. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? The throne of grace occurs only here in the New Testament. It points to the sovereignty of God and God's love for us. Praise God that He encourages us to come to His throne of mercy and grace that we need so often. Uh, many ancient rulers were unapproachable by the common people. You couldn't just go to the, the throne of the king. Uh, Queen Esther risked her life going to her king. I want to even. Asherah? I know I'm killing that word. Yeah, Esther 5, 1 and 2. Without invitation, even though she was his wife, she she risked her own life going in front of him. Um, So yet any penitent person, no matter how sinful and undeserving, may approach God's throne at any time for forgiveness and salvation, confident that he will be receiving mercy and grace. So by Jesus' sacrifice of himself, God's throne of judgment is turned into a throne of grace for those who trust in him. Um, How awesome is that? How often do we go before that throne of grace? With courage too. With courage. With boldness. Amen? 
Amen. Um, in time of need, um, which tells us something about when we are fighting a battle, when we are in a spiritual battle or in a battle with sin or a temptation, uh, what should we be doing? Praising. Huh? Praising. Praising. It exposes. When our sin is exposed, that's opportunity. I, I, I think it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Amen. Right. It's something, some surgery can take place and we can get it cut out and get rid of it. Yep. Before it, um, Right. Someone author said, uh, "Kill sin before it kills you." It may, it may, huh? He said that. Kill sin before it kills you. Go ahead, Michelle. I just think that we're always in need. I mean, it says in our time of need, but if you're ever at the point where you don't feel like you need to approach the throne, um, that's a scary place to be. Amen. So I think we always have to stay really humble and know that we're constantly in need of being there, mm. so that we don't fall. Mm. But go ahead, Gary. I don't know if you're going to get to the next point, but to find grace. Mm-hmm. Are you going to say something about that? No, go ahead. <laughs> I don't want to jump the gun there. No, you're not. Um, that, that just hit me a number of years ago. That passage, I, one of my memory verses, a popular verse, but I never dwelt on the fact that we go to the throne of grace in time of need and we skip that part for grace to help us in the time of need. We just go to God for our needs right. rather than for grace to deal with our needs. Mm-hmm. So if we are going through a trial, we just simply want relief rather than grace to be able to endure what might God, what God may be appointing for us to have to go through. Mm-hmm. You follow mm-hmm. me? Yeah. You with me or against me? No, I'm with you. Okay. I'm with you. But that's one that you have to think about too. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. The grace is there that we need. Always. So we're always in prayer, hopefully. We're spending time in prayer. And then uh, when we know we need more prayer, that, that's how we're approaching the throne and uh, receiving what we need from God. Um, what else? Go ahead. One other thing, too, that dawns on me about coming boldly. Um, when Israel came out to meet God... They met him at Mount Sinai. And where did they have to stay? At the nether part of the mountain, at the bottom. They couldn't even touch the mountain. If they did, they would be thrust through and mm-hmm. die. Mm-hmm. But in, in, in the revelation that Jesus gave us of the Father, and with the Spirit indwelling us, we have this intimacy with God as our personal Father, so we can come to Him with this kind of courage and boldness Without hesitation, there's no barriers, there's no don't touch this, don't touch that. We can come right into his presence. Amen. You know, like JFK Jr. there in the uh, Oval Office was there with his daddy, you know, underneath the desk. I think that's a beautiful picture of the... Who else could have been able to walk right. into the Oval Office like that? Right. This is my son. He's going to have free access to <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, that's good stuff. That's a good point. What a privilege. What an honor. You know, um, it almost it can almost make you puffed up, <laughs> which you don't want it to do. But you know, use that as a witness. You don't know that I'm welcome before the throne of God Almighty. Would you like to be? <laughs> we always think of throne. If you think of throne as a place of power, and a place of authority, and a place of <clears throat> potential oppression, a place of but to, be, to call it a throne of grace. Hmm. Grace has been enthroned. You know. Right. 
something about that that mm-hmm. can really, I think, help me. Right. And look at and look at the difference between the throne of grace compared to um, the holies of holies that they were going into in the tabernacle. Um, get in and get out. Once you, they were done pouring the blood, because it was dangerous for them in there. They could get struck down at any time. Um, big difference. Big, big difference. Alright, so I'm going to wrap this up. What God revealed to me um, through doing this was um, I always thought like I was a nervous person, but I, it got revealed to me this week that I kind of struggle with anxiety mm-hmm. and anxious and, and um, worry about a lot of stuff. And constantly, um, as something comes to my head, I start praying about it and praying about it. And imagine that, 63 years old, and never really realized that I was anxious. And then, um, lo and behold, um, I get this. Um, I'm not going to tell you who wrote this, but I'm going to read this to you and listen to it closely. And you tell me who wrote it. <laughs> I bet you someone will. Um, the, the title of this, and this, is, this ties right into the study, Make War with Unbelief. This is what prevented them from going into the promised land. Unbelief. They didn't fight it. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming dots of the evil one and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Ephesians 6, 16 and 17. When I'm anxious about getting old, I battle unbelief with the promise. Even to your old age, I am He. Into your gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear and I will carry and save. Isaiah 64.4 When I am anxious about dying, I battle unbelief with the promise that none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or we die, whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Romans 14, 7 and 9. When I'm anxious that I may make shipwreck of my faith and fall away from God, I battle unbelief with the promises. He who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 6. And he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews seven twenty five. Join me in this battle. Let us make war, not with other people, but with our own unbelief. Unbelief in the promises of God is the root of anxiety, which in turn is the root of so many other sins. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Paul said in Ephesians 16, The shield by which we quench Satan's fiery deceits is faith. Faith in that very Word of God. So take up the shield in your left hand, and the sword in your right hand, and let us fight the good fight of faith. Take up the Bible, ask the Holy Spirit for help, lay the promises up in your heart, and fight the good faith to live by faith in future grace. Who wrote that? Ted Tripp. Who? Ted Tripp. No. It was either Pat LaCare or Charles Spurgeon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know it was Charles Spurgeon because there's not, not enough archaic English unless you dropped it, but I would get John Piper. There you go. That's it. Who was it? John Piper. Future Grace. He was a big one on Future Grace. Yeah. Yeah, big one. All right. Michelle, will you close us in prayer, please?